Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. Portfolio construction and risk management are tasks that take you away from where you need to be, building relationships with your clients. Aberdeen Standard Investments can support you by creating bespoke investment solutions. Outsourcing portfolio and risk management creates efficiencies, enabling you to focus on fulfilling the ambitions of both your clients and your business. This podcast is being prepared with cares based on sources believed to be reliable and all opinions expressed are honestly held at the applicable date. However, it is general information only and we accept no liability for any errors or omissions. Let's be prepared without taking into account the particular objectives, financial situation or needs of any investor. Investing involves risk, including the risk of losing capital. It's important that before acting, investors should consider the their own circumstances, objectives, and financial situation. The information's appropriateness to them and consult financial and tax advisors. Investors should consider PDS available at AberdeenStandard.com before making an investment decision. Products issued by Aberdeen Standard Investments Australia Limited, ABM 59002123364, AFSL number 204263. Welcome to another episode of the XY Advisor Podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, your host, and I'm joined by Sue Viskovic. Hello. Hello, hello. Lovely to be here. Fantastic to have you on the XY Podcast. Again, it's it's only been, I don't know, three years since your last episode. I know. I've missed you guys, even though you're new in the seat, hey? Very happy that you've taken this gig. Yeah, I'm really, really happy. Thank you. So it's yeah. been it's been three years. I look back; it was um, February t- twenty seventeen, and you were on with um, with Phil and Adrian talking about a business planning article that you you'd written. And sort of this is the time of the oh. year when everyone's doing their business planning. Yeah, my goodness, time flies when you're having fun. Hey, three <laughs> years ago, wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, mind you, mind you, thinking back, it was actually the second time you'd been on. In uh, I think it was episode eighteen. So to get on twice and within eighteen episodes is pretty good. Very impressive. And then I went AWOL, clearly. I, that, that obviously had lots and lots more interesting speakers than me to fall back on. <laughs> well, clearly you're out of favour. Didn't you, didn't you not get the memo? Oh, I did not. <laughs> I did not. Although, what did I do to get back in? Oh. <laughs> no, not at all. It's a, it's a really great crew. And uh, I think during that time, we also did a bit, there was a few other things that I helped out with. There was some video content that we provided for the um, academy and so forth. So, yeah, I think that I'm pretty sure it was just they like mixing up their speakers. Not it must have been, I'd must have been. Absolutely. Now, uh, <laughs> now I'm, I'm, I went back and listened to that episode and we, you talked a lot about um, the idea around really uh, having some critical thinking around your planning and you don't have to label it business plan but some critical thinking about Mm. the sort of four main areas um, of a plan that you saw well at the time let's say uh, your client value proposition all all about where you are now um, technology that you're using and how that's going to provide efficiencies and scale in your business um, pricing around the numbers getting the numbers right and uh, and the last section was really focusing on you, you know, the advisor, the planner, the business owner, and making sure you have that that balance. Three years on, looking back, oh. how how was how did that go? How was that? Uh, is there well, anything you'd add to that? Yeah. Oh, look, I think um, I think the fundamentals of strategic planning doesn't don't change over the years in the fact that it's really important to do it um, and do it well. So I think when you're actually doing it, 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 the first thing is still the same as what I would have said back then. And that is get a really good, honest, critical view of what's happening in your business now. Because there's one thing is to plan of where you want to go and and how you want to move forward. But if you're not really getting a clear understanding of where you are now, what might hold you back, you may not necessarily be able to identify the things that you want to, that you want to strategize with. So that's really critical, but it's interesting, isn't it? I pulled out those four things as being so important back then, we probably uh, let's. I'll just claim it as being how good was my crystal ball around looking after yourself in those three years. Um, you know, even apart from the global pandemic that we've all been through, what advisors have been through over the, the last few years after the Royal Commission and with the FASIA standards coming in and the exam, the mental health um, in advice has been really under 
threat has been really pushed to its limit. So I do hope that people did listen to that component of it because we do, you know, I, I know we're all guilty of it. We put our, our family first we put or our, our clients first and our family, we put our business first and we usually come last. But over these last few years, it's really put test to that, hasn't it, that if we don't put our own oxygen masks on first and make sure we take care of ourselves, it's um, pretty hard to be there and show up for everybody else. So that one was definitely a bit of a one that came more important than any others over that time. I think pricing obviously is still huge today. Uh, in fact, probably bigger than it was three years ago because obviously people have lost their grandfathered REM if they had some trails coming in. So we're still talking a lot of advisors that are handling the fallout from that. Um, but I think we're starting to see Oh gosh, how do I, I don't want to say benefits. Obviously, a lot of the things that came out of the Royal Commission are, are beneficial because they are protecting consumers and, and they've removed some behaviours that weren't um, across all advice businesses, but certainly, obviously, they did happen. Um, but I think what's maybe more important now than ever before, we're really in an environment where there's less advisors to service people, more and more people needing advice. And so I think the critical factor now does come back to that value proposition. What are you, what are you delivering? What are you here? And, and probably before that, it's actually identifying who you're going to work with, who are you serving and designing your business because you can't be all things to all people anymore. You can't just say yes to everybody and get a bit of trail and that'll build up over time. You really need to run it like a business. Um, so that's probably, I would say, the biggest fundamental shift that we've seen is people having to get far more clear on who they're working with, what's their proposition, and deep, deep client engagement, filling the hole where the robo-advisors or the robo-investment pieces don't serve and helping people with behavioural change and values and goals-based financial planning, all that good stuff that we love. <laughs> Certainly is, and I, I resonate with this. And I actually think that you're spot on when it comes to a lot of businesses I've spoken to that have, have really focused on that niching down on their who they who they serve yeah. best, who they help the most, and and who they who they personally enjoy helping too. You know, the values conversation around the values of the advisor matching the values of their clients and therefore yes. being a, a win-win. Yeah. Well, life's too short, right? So, you know, you, most advisors spend a huge amount of time in their business and they get passionately involved with their clients. You know, they don't just do it because it's a it's a um, a technical expertise. They actually are personally invested and emotionally invested in their clients. So, uh, you know, you, you want to work with people that you respect and and you um you share common values with. I think that's really important. At Alexa, we call it a no dickhead policy. Am I allowed to swear, Fraser? <laughs> you can do whatever you um, want. Too late. <laughs> but yeah, we you know life's too short. You want to make sure that you're working and empowering people uh, that you enjoy working with. So, yeah, with no judgment, of course. Yes. Everybody's different. Well, exactly right. And that policy could be somebody's, it could not be somebody, it might not be somebody else's. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yes. And, you know, in a in a marketplace moving forward where there are limited numbers of advisors and we're seeing limited numbers of new advisors coming through the profession and being qualified you know, you really can carve out your own space um, and build your business to be whatever you want it to be and, and you know, dealing with whoever and however many clients you, you want to deal with. It's really quite exciting and empowering. Yep, fantastic. Now, I, d- I wanted to put our 2021 hats on um, mm. and think about these four areas and, and, and maybe even some other areas that we haven't covered in these four. Um, but starting with your client value proposition, you know, what are you seeing practices doing um, what are you seeing, like apart from obviously we went through the niching conversation, we could go back into that again, but what, mm. what are you seeing people doing with assessing where they are now? How are they getting to the bottom of exactly or diagnosing where they are now? Um, so I think I think it really is important to be able to identify the people that you work best with. And, and so that, that is the first step in the value prop um, um, creation or, or enhancement, if you like. And I think more and more advisors are really realising I mean, I think that's actually a combination of factors. The fact that you do have more and more robo-advice styles of um, digital platforms um, emerging and most advisors would say, as we even said five years ago, that there's no fear around 
those players getting better and coming to the market. But and and because it's not a but, it's because for most people that engage with financial advice, they they actually want the accountability, they want the empathy, they want people that you know a human that they can throw ideas around with, and so to try and deliver an advice proposition that really is just about rolling over super uh, or identifying the best um, you know risk insurance provider when you already know what you're looking for, that's not really the place for financial advisors anymore. And what's exciting about that is that for the advisor, it is actually more rewarding because they have a deeper engagement with their clients. And so we're seeing, um, because to the flip side to that, when you get really good around your targeted clientele, and and I think I've said before, we used to use the term ideal client. I don't use that term anymore because I think people think ideal is like, you know, I'm using my quotation marks with my fingers here and ideal world is something that's not achievable. Um, so we don't even term it ideal client anymore because there's no, no um little unicorns out there, but it's around getting clear on the types of clients that you work with. And we actually even go through a process to build client avatars within a business. And so understanding the demographics of the people that you're looking for, the psychographics, what makes them tick, what do they want, how do they think, what are the challenges in life? And then when you do that, you can get really clear on the problems that they have and the the needs that they're trying to solve. Sometimes it even gets down to profession, which lends itself to a, a particular personality type or, you know, introvert or extrovert. Um, and when you do that, you can then get very clear around the services that you provide. And it's not, when I say services, it's not even just, oh, we, you know, we give advice on self-managed super funds or, or, you know, whatever the technical services are, that's all part of it. But I think it's all also the style of engagement that you want. So what I find really exciting about that is that we're seeing more and more propositions that are far more suited. You know, it used to be 10, 15 years ago, everybody was after the retiree, right? Because we got paid by commission or, or we got paid by asset-based fee. So if you you had to find clients that had their lump sums already accumulated so that you could afford to give advice to them. And, and so the younger people and, and the accumulators were somewhat neglected by the advice profession. And yet what we see now in, in the community is, you know, people... People want a connection with their finances. They're more, um, maybe not more aspirational, but people certainly are aspirational. They want more out of life. They want to live their best life. And so they want to have advisors and there are more and more advisors out there able to help them create that. So as an advisor in your strategic planning, really identify the people that you work best with and then how can you solve their services, solve their issues. And sometimes their issues have nothing to do with a financial product. They might be behavioral. They might be saving strategies where, you know, you don't even need to advise on a particular bank account or a particular savings account. It's a it's a cash flow and and um uh, money management uh, yeah. piece as well. Hey, can I just dig deeper and learn to that behavioural conversation? Because I, I 100% yeah. agree, you know, clients are there, they've got issues or problems, we've got issues, let's face it. Um, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so you mentioned behavioural decision-making and habits. Now, yeah. I like to dig down even deeper into the idea of what are the micro decisions that are going through their head that they're not asking you about that they need to be solved, you know, like mm. um, from the very beginning of, um, they need to know they have a problem. I think coverage says they need to know that um, they have a problem and they need to know that you're the doctor and they need to know, um, you know, is it going to be, provide value uh, either for money or for time or for whatever they whatever they associate value with? Um, and, you know, are, are there these micro decisions being answered in within your process before mm. they have to ask them? Because I think if they have to ask them, then it's, it's too late. You know, they've already thought about it and mulled on these decisions and they become a pain point and had to ask. Yeah, yeah. And it's fascinating because with your business hat on, you go, wow, with all my compliance requirements now, this is why people are saying financial advice is getting too expensive and out of the realm of of most people because you know, by the time you actually get to spend the right amount of time with a client to get to know them at that level and to build trust for them to be able to be open and have those conversations with you and let them let you in on their fears and how they hold themselves back, that doesn't happen immediately. And it certainly doesn't happen if you sit in front of them with a fact find and you ask them about their super funds and if they've got an accountant and those styles of questions. So the engagement techniques that advisors are using um, are very 
I wouldn't say different, but they, they are structured in, in a different way. So, you know, if, if we reflect on the fact find, for example, you know, there are great tools that you can use now to do data scrapes and, and um, utilise technology to be able to import information for you to then process so you can spend the valuable time that you've got with the client talking about the more meaningful, emotive, behavioural kinds of things. Um, you know, I never forget um, the fabulous Eleanor Dartnell. I think she's uh, known to the XY community. She's a lovely advisor in country New South Wales. And we were actually on a judging panel together for the Female Excellence in Advice Awards for a couple of years. And I remember having these conversations with with her and one of her favourite things was to make sure that she understood if a client does come to her with assets, where does this money come from? What is the emotional connection that they have to that money? And the stories that that she shared were amazing. You know, it is it is very different for a client if they've worked hard their whole life, their parents never really had much, so that inspired them to to really save well. That connection to that money might look very different to if it's a, um, an inheritance that's come from a, a family member that's no longer with us and that line has stopped. Um, you know, those, those kind of emotive things are, are important to understand. And so I, I'm Just well aware that we're on the the theme of scale for this podcast, um, how do you do that as an advisor? How do you get to that point um, without having to literally get a psychologist's degree or, or, you know, get people to fill in some some digital forms because that is the human element that has to come through. Yeah, I remember um, I, I remember um, Eleanor saying to me that she even goes so far to say is um, when, you know, somebody's had an inheritance, you know, what does this money mean to the person that earned the money and, and how yes. hard did they work to get it and what do you think, what advice would they be telling you right now about this money, even if they yeah. weren't here? Um, and that information gave the client the answer to tell the advisor how they want to invest it. Yes, because sometimes we make decisions and we're not um, consciously aware of why we're making them, but there is an emotional connection that sits underneath there somewhere. Uh, so so that's, and I find that that actually makes advice even more rewarding because you really are getting to know people's motivators and you can really help them. It's not because, it's not that you're just adding value because you help them save some money or you pick the right investments and so you get a better alpha, but you're actually helping them be a better version of themselves and take more Control is probably a good word, but but feel more empowered about their money because they understand their relationship with it, and and they understand. You know, we we often talk about the fact that money really is just an enabler. You know, it's 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 just a thing, and what it really is there for is to help people live the life that they want to live. And so, even the fact of holding space for them and a couple to uh, articulate what is the life that they want to live, what are they actually working towards, you know, what is important to them, what are their values uh, and and what do they want their money to do, that in itself is a gift even before you start talking about where to invest it and what platform to put it in and, and you know, accessing better tax rates and so forth. Exactly. Now, I just, I just want to dig a little bit deeper in this client value proposition piece, this first part of the, the puzzle. Yeah, um, yeah. There is a lot of, you know, like information about where are you now how exactly, you know, like let's be honest and raw and, 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 and bring that information out because I know there is always a facade when you have a business and you don't, you know, you don't always want people to really get under the hood. Um, yeah. So there's that side of the, the, the spectrum versus the other side of the spectrum where is if you had a blank sheet of paper and you could just do anything you wanted and, and what would the best outcome Oh, I'm not going to use ideal client. Where would the best? What would the, what would the best case scenario be? And let's just look at building that versus fixing up the old um, engine, if you like. Um, yeah. Tell us about those two different sides of the coin and how important they both are. You mean when you we're working merge. with a business, so not not so much the client working, the advisor working with their client. Yeah, the advisor working on their business. Yeah. On the, yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, we as business coaches, we actually hold a really privileged position and, and we're quite honoured by it because we do get to know all the warts and all of, of our clients. It actually is quite an intimate relationship that we have with our clients because usually when they've reached out to us, we, we, they kind of sit in two camps, either that they're just overwhelmed and I would say the last four clients we've we've brought on in the last month or so have all been working 70, 80 hours a week. They're overwhelmed. They just can't do it anymore. They don't want to do it anymore. Um, and with all of the change that's been thrown in them, they're just struggling to lift their head up. And we also have a lot, though, that were 
have always run good businesses um, and as the world has changed, they have evolved over time and they also want to get even better. Um, so no matter what stage you're at in a business, there's always going to be challenges going on. And, and you know, when you are at a PD day or a conference, actually, you know what, I used to see people go, oh, yeah, yeah, life's great. Yeah, yeah, it's good. My business is good. Now I do see people a little bit more honest and it tends to be over Zoom more than it is over a drink, but I do see people openly able to go, yeah, it's been bloody tough. Like it's it's this has been a really difficult environment to work with and even incredibly successful advisors are, you know, uh, honestly saying to anybody that, yeah, it's been a tough time and and uh, and, it, and it's challenging to get through. So when we work with a firm, it is really important about understanding the vision of what they're trying to create. And sometimes when you've been so buried in a business that you have been working really hard, sometimes you're not making enough money out of it, but it's really taken you away from what's most important. We actually go to the principal's personal values as well and help understand what is important why they're actually in a business in the first place because when you can reconnect to that the old Simon Sinek why once you are really clear on what you're doing we've even helped people make those decisions about do they even stick around you know people that have been in the game for 30 years and were on the brink of leaving um one of them has made that decision um but I've got quite a few others that have said oh I've reconnected with what I'm doing then and I can put up with the the challenges and get through the other side because it's so important so I think understanding that and then reflecting back on how is what is your business like today because sometimes it's kind of got away from them sometimes it's just morphed over time because of all the crap that's been thrown at them from compliance and legislation and so forth and it's actually not the business they want and the biggest thing that I think a lot of people are challenged by is the ability to say no. Um, you know, when we talk about the whole targeted clientele thing, advisors are in the business because they want to help people. It's their fundamental. It's the one thing that ties us all together is that motivation and passion about why it is at some level they want to help other people. And so it absolutely goes against the grain to say, well, if someone's coming to ask me for help, I don't want to say no to them. If I'm capable of doing it, I want to be able to. And yet the way that the market is, you just cannot afford to do so. So that tends to be a quite a challenging soul-searching piece for a lot of people because when they get that realisation, you know, we've got one advisor at the moment and she's amazing. She's an incredible lady and she honestly is working herself into an early grave because she's she's very kind and has a lot of very young clients coming and speaking with her and so you know she knows that they just need a leg up and and I'm I'm talking like they're in their 20s first and second jobs um but they can't afford to pay what it costs her to deliver services um so the trick is to actually identify who are the ones that you want to help the most and if it is people in their 20s that have very I don't want to sound offensive, but they do have quite straightforward, simple needs. Then it's understanding that actually Let's they don't less need. complex. Yes, less complex. That sounds better. Um, but, you know, they don't need the full financial advice. You know, Maybe they don't need the really, really deep engagement where you understand their values and, and everything that sits behind it. Maybe what they need is more education and a really simple way to compare their funds and to understand what contributions look like. And so if you really do want to service that market, we take the time to create an offering that suits them. So it's probably going to involve digital engagement. It's probably going to be links off to the Asset Money Swipe website, you know, play, wait, ways that people can help themselves without having to pay thousands of dollars yep. for now, a full advice engagement. Wa- and then... I want to get into that in a minute. Um, yeah. But I just want to also want to cover the the concept of, you know, if you, if you had a blank piece of paper and you could redesign a business model, you know, like from a, from a high-touch business model point of view... Um, yeah. versus just, um, you know, fixing what you've currently got. So, you know, that blank piece of paper, start again, um, concept. Of- yeah, that's that's a good one to to do some blue sky thinking. But I'd I'd actually say like our coaching style is really pragmatic, right? So the reality is, you know, I've done those sorts of exercises with people and they're exciting and they're fun and they're, you know, they're, they're really aspirational and they're awesome 
But if that piece of paper then looks so totally different to where they're at right now, the reality is they've got something to deal with. And and look, it may be that they sell the current business they've got and start one from scratch, but my, most people aren't prepared to do that. It, it is about, well, I now have, what, what do I do with this, this old thing um, if I want to create what I want? And so then it's identifying, well, what are the steps required to get there? And it might not be that it's going to happen immediately, um, but, but it, I think it's still important to be pragmatic. And the reality is for most people, when they identify that blue sky thinking of who they want to work with and how they want to serve them, they're actually their favorite clients already. They've already got some of them. It's not, it might not represent the whole business, but they've already got some. Um, and that's how they identify that they're the ones they really want to work with. I, I don't think I've come across an advisor yet who hates their entire client base. Um, so yeah, it, it's identifying that. And it's then saying, well, what are the tweaks that we need to do to move the business forward? And are we going to sell off a portion of clients to somebody? Because as you said before, you know, what's not valuable or what's a ticket to one person is not to another. And I don't mean that in an, um, yeah, actually, that was a really bad example. <laughs> um, but, but what might be the future of your business might look very different to somebody else's. Well and so it does mean that you may choose to sell off a group of clients or, or it means that you um, transition them away. And that's, so many advisors are doing that right now because there are some people paying fees that are well below the minimum fee that they've worked out they need to charge. So they had kind of had gone some way to, to changing the relationship, but grandfathered REM's gone now. So, you know, if you've got a client that's paying you $500 a year or even $1,000 a year and your minimum fee is three and a half, there has to be a question to say, well, does this client actually need me on retainer anymore? Or can I make sure that they're self-sufficient, they're on their auto rebalance, they've got everything right. And if they need me later, they can come back. So going through that experience of um, shifting people on that no longer need your services has to be done hand in hand with the growth strategy of, well, how are you going to find more of the people that are going to pay you a profitable fee and, and, and get really true value out of the services that you deliver? Yeah. So yep. I think part of the, part of the um, success factor is not only knowing where you want to go and what you need to do to get to that place, but it's also knowing where to send the others to. Um, and it's much easier to say no to somebody if it's not just no, if it's, well, I'm not the right advisor to help you with that, but let me give you some resources that you'll be able to find your answers. So, yeah. Yep, fair enough. Now uh, let's let's jump into the scale um, conversation. Uh, let's. I mean, I, when I think about this, is obviously that, like you mentioned, the the idea of how do you um, provide something that's going to be helpful that is affordable um, mm. at one end of the scale scale. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then the other end of the scale scale is how do you replicate something in a way where that is already profitable to be even more profitable. Yeah. So the. F- First point I would say is don't expect that you can do both ends of the scale if you're a one or two advisor business, right? If you've got a big team, sure, you can have different people assigned to different avatars um, and you specialise in different fields. But if you're if you're a smaller business, trying to it's going back to that, trying to be all things to all people. Now, that is slightly different to um, where you might identify a niche of a certain group of people and you're creating your lead funnel. So it might be that you do create some free content and you create some um, online courses or things like that to get people to the point when they then need your services. So that's different. That's a marketing strategy. Um, But if you are then deciding on uh, the service that you want to provide, then you go deep on that and you go, right, how do we, how do we get better and better at doing this? And, you know, it's something that we have, worked on with so many clients over the years is that when you really stop and unpack how do you onboard a new client what do you do how do you get to know them how do you build trust quickly and then even what's your ongoing client experience you know what do they get from you year on year not just your um you know your advice docs and ticking your compliance boxes to say you don't have to refund when you get to fds time but what is the actual experience the client has and so many advisors find that they really haven't re-examined that in a long time and you know for many years we would help advisors recreate that and it's it's difficult right? Like like knowing as much as you need to know about understanding how to unpack people's behaviours and emotions and their values and so forth, and then plugging it into a system that's going to 
deliver that really efficiently. I mean, we have helped people do it for years and you put different apps and you put a tech stack together and you, you, you sort of, it's, it's, it's very time consuming. And then the, the ability to pivot and iterate it once it's not working or understand human behavior and how they respond. Um, so that is going to where I think you asked me a little while ago, what's going on with you at the moment? Well, I'm on the board of um, a new company that is called Lumiant, which is actually solving so many of those challenges for advisors. So, and I'm not I'm not here to do a big um, sales pitch for that by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm I'm loving the work that Lumiant's doing because it is. I'm trying to remember the the word Santa uses. It, it is creating bionic advisors because it's giving them the tech tech-enabled piece to get the scale but the very human-centred conversations and values piece um, and ongoing goal collection and recognition and celebration as well. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, we will probably see more and more of those types of tools and, and systems because that's really what good advisors need to enable them to get true scale. I think. Yeah, that certainly rather instead of just being there to crunch numbers and financial numbers, which we've known tech to do for many years, um, yeah. but to be around there to really help engage a, a client in and get them emotionally engaged in the process and, and allow to yes. allow them to sort of dictate the, the flow of the process and where it takes them um, yeah. so that we end up yeah. in a place where they want to be. Yeah. And particularly, I think if you're dealing with a couple, as as most of us tend to do, or most advisors tend to do with their client base, is that, you know, what do you do when you don't have alignment between the couple? And, and there is usually the CFO spouse and the non-CFO. There's usually one of them that tends to take um, more of the reins in managing the finances. And so, you know, I know advisors often we'll talk about couples where they struggle to get that non-CFO spouse, be it the husband or the wife, it's different in every family. But, um, you know, sometimes the the one that has the reins is, yeah, yeah, we want to come to the review, absolutely. And I say, oh, no, you take care of it. And you can't give good advice when you're just dealing with one of them, really. So it recognises that as well and enables you to help get people get on the same page around what's most important and then creating the life they want and what role money has in that. Yeah, that's a really interesting part of it, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned the non-CFO. I sort of think of this as the non-dominant in that particular um, subject yeah. because obviously one person is is going to be more dominant in the in the financial you know part of the relationship and, and understanding yeah. the finances, and they'll be the ones that want to speak up. Um, yeah. But if that person is also the dominant person in the relationship on decision making around what they do and how they spend mm. their money and all those sort of things, then the, the other person just gets left out and essentially yeah. a couple that you're giving advice to is really only one person that you're giving advice to. Yes. And we've, uh, you know, I think the statistics uh, prove that when you look at um, when a couple, one of them passes away and how often the widow or the widower leaves the original advisor because if, if it was the dominant one that passed away, they've never had a connection with them because they've, they've never been heard, they've ne- never felt, um, you know, the ability to speak up. Um, and have those conversations. So, yeah, it, it's important, I think, to be able to to create that. And, you know, when I talk, I, I know for perhaps some people I might sound like I'm a little bit woo-woo because I talk a lot around emotion and, and human behaviour that drives what might otherwise be a very dry subject of money and financial decision-making. But at the end of the day, we are humans and and we don't always make rational decisions. And the best advisors, I think, understand that um, and learn to work within that. Unfortunately, compliance doesn't always recognise that, hence the the need to document all of your alternative strategies and and so forth. Um, But but I think that's also... Sorry. This is where technology has come a long way since, you know, three years ago when you were on the on the last podcast uh, with XY Advisor. But, um, you know, the, the idea was around that number crunching. Now it's around capturing that, you know, woo-woo as you call it, capturing their yeah. emotional behaviours, capturing, you know, where they how they feel about something, capturing their preferences, yeah. Um, yeah. and then being able to, you know, go through an advice process and then recapture those um, preferences again to show a growth in something that's not necessarily money. Yes, absolutely. And over time that 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 just continues to grow. So, you know, we 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 love 
I love the language that Lumiant uses and it's about helping people live a rich life, not die rich. So, you know, it's not always about having the most money at the end of the day or creating. It's about putting that money to good use in the way that the couple or the family wants to and helping them make those decisions. You know, we've all heard of of clients who've got plenty of money and, and they don't go on their trip. Well, they can't now, but, you know, they don't enjoy it. They don't spend it on the kids or the grandkids or doing things that they enjoy because they've, they've never realised that actually they do have enough and they will continue to have enough even if they live till they're 120. So sometimes that's the value in the advice relationship too is and is you know empowering people to be able to do that yeah so as the advisor i think when it comes to doing your business strategy work um is to identify how you do that how you have those very personal relationships in a scalable way and part of that has to come down to a really good process that your whole team follows because you want the advisor to be in the position where they are having the high value conversations um, and the strategic input, uh, but they they have a great team of people around them that were really good at the admin and the, and the power planning and the paperwork and, you know, whether that be outsourced or otherwise um, or whether it be utilising technology or otherwise, but how they can then um, capture all of the, the the information and that that very rich data, if you like, that comes out around the, the non-specific uh, stuff that doesn't always fit into a spreadsheet. Yeah, fair enough. And then we also see at the other end of the, the you know, the high the, the scale area of, you know, people just doing one thing, um, you know, uh, you know, they're all, I don't want to say robo advice because that always just tended to be just, you know, leading people towards an ETF. Just but tech, yeah. Um, but the idea of, you know, about people just doing one thing and then using really smart processes and efficiencies and technologies all together to then mm. produce, you know, the, doing that one thing. And this is where scale advice and, um, you know, re- really comes into it. Uh, and just like allows people to, to, you know, deal with hundreds of people a day, but just doing one thing for them. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if you choose that that's the model that you want, then you get very, very clever at understanding the legal ramifications about that and, and, and making sure that you do scope the advice very, very clearly and clients know exactly what they're looking for um, and what they're coming to you for. There, there are ways to do that. Yeah. I, I must admit, I, I most of the advisors that we speak with uh, are, they get their joy from having those relationships um, and helping people live that deeper. Yeah, yeah. Now I want to talk about. If you like. I want to talk about pricing because I know that you are one of the country's leading experts in the subject. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, pricing, and you just you mentioned the, you know their, their relationships, and then we're putting a price um, on the relationships. It's a hard thing to do sometimes. The mindset around pricing can oh, be, I know. can really yeah. trip people up. Talk to us about, um, you know, the pricing work you've done and also how you deal with it. Yeah, well, it's it's a funny thing, right, because, again, it comes back to exactly what we were talking about in financial advice. In theory, you you get a calculator and you plug your costs in and you plug your chargeable time in and you put in the profit margin you want and out spits a number and that's what you charge. Um, but... It doesn't always work that way and not every client looks the same and uh, not every relationship delivers the same value to people either. So, yes, we we continue to do a huge amount of work on pricing um, and we are finding, and so we, we have our pricing research as well, right? So that is where we go out to market and, and we talk to the whole profession um, as much as possible, obviously not the whole profession because we can't reach everybody. Um, but so our fifth edition was uh, 713 advisors across across 273 businesses plus some risk specialists plus a few mortgage brokers in there too um and that was only 12 percent of the people that we dealt with right so so we we in helping advisors to create their model they always want to benchmark they always understand well what am i up against in other businesses and is this reasonable and you know if you're used to charging three thousand dollars and suddenly you've done your numbers and you you really shouldn't be charging any less than five that's frightening uh and so you want to know well what what's everybody else doing is that okay um and then, of course, you have to then be looking at, well, what's the value that I'm delivering to my clients for that? Because it's one thing that it, can they afford it or not, but are they actually going to get an outcome? Um, and so the research we do every couple of years, and, and that in and of itself 
you know, we did the last one at the beginning of 2020. So about a year ago was when we collated the data. So if you think of that in context, that was when we knew that grandfathered room was being switched off in the year ahead. So the businesses were still receiving it at that point, the large majority of them, if they had it, um, and they hadn't yet switched it off. And I think that we probably weren't seeing the true reflection um, of the actual cost of advice still at that point. Um, and certainly there are a lot of businesses that really needed to do a lot of work on it because we asked about EBIT figures. So what were people aiming to achieve in their business? What kind of EBIT were they looking for? And the average answer came back at 32%. So Okay, so that's this is the business planning part of it. Yeah, people want yeah. to get 32% EBIT. From their EBIT, practice. Yep. From their practice. For all the yes. risk they're so, taking and all that. So, yeah. yeah. And so, of course, pricing is a really important lever in order to how to achieve course, that, right? Of course. But sadly, the average of what was being achieved was 23%. So despite where they wanted to be, they weren't necessarily there. Now, that doesn't automatically tell you that their pricing is wrong because it can just be a growth part of their growth curve. So um, they were charging people the appropriate price. They just didn't have enough people um, to fill their capacity in their business. So, so, uh, if, but, I, so if I just stick with this a little bit again, the, yeah. the reality of was 22, but what they thought they were doing or what they thought they wanted to do? No, what they wanted, wanted to, to achieve, okay. what they yep. were targeting was yep. 32 and their actual was averaging at 23. Wow. So that's that's really quite fascinating because we can then separate out, well, okay, let's look at only the firms that are getting more than 30% profit. What are they doing differently to the others? Um, and, yes, typically they were charging a higher amount, but it also comes down to their mindset and their not even necessarily the the quality or complexity of the clients they were dealing with. It wasn't just they only dealt with high net worth clients so they could charge more. It was that they were really confident because they absolutely knew that they had enhanced their service offering. Their value proposition was great. They delivered value to clients. They didn't have a lot of people saying no. They were in growth mode um, and they were confident. So when we deal with our coaching clients, Again, it's one thing to say, well, it's just your mindset and you've got to get confident to charge a higher fee. Well, that doesn't just happen because somebody tells you to, right? Um, so when we work with clients, it is a process that we take them through and, and a large part of it is them getting absolutely um, uh, confident in the numbers being right. So, you know, advisors are numbers people, right? And the old plumber with the leaky taps is is, is a real thing. Uh, but, you know, once they know that the inputs are correct and they know what their hard minimums need to be and then they have an ability to talk out loud, what does value actually even mean and how can you quantify what is often quite an intangible measure and it's subjective? Uh, and then how do you actually have the conversations with your clients? How do you go back to a client base and lift it on average 20, 25, 30, 35%? You know, how do you, how do you actually do that? Uh, and so having a bit of confidence and support and accountability to just hold your feet to the fire and 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 help you get over those first few conversations, I yeah. think is um, is yeah. really, really helpful. Now this is a the benchmark is an interesting point when you say it's 30, you know, 32, um, 33, 33. 32, what 30, they were targeting, 23 was what they averaged. Yeah, okay, so there's 9%. Um, so, you know, you, you want 32. Is that once that becomes the benchmark in someone's head, how often are they saying, well, I want 32 as well? <laughs> I think that's a big thing about what's achievable, yeah. right? So, you know, if, if someone thinks that 20% is a good return on investment for all the risk and the pain and <laughs> suffering that you go through in running an advice business, then to know that actually 30 and 40% is possible. You know, I've got clients on 55% EBIT. Um, it, it, the only thing that is honestly, again, this might really sound woo-woo, but the only thing that holds people back from achieving whatever the number is that they want is themselves. It, it's those self-limiting beliefs. It's the understanding of what's possible. And and I think there's also an element of, 
I don't know if guilt is the right word, but you know, we have this saying that we use a lot and that is just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? So sure, I could teach you how to charge a client eight grand, but if you're not delivering eight grand's worth of value and that client doesn't actually need your services, take a good hard look at yourself. Um, So I think there's a bit of that too. Advisors are by their nature caring people. They want to help others. And sometimes there is a little bit of a limit that says, do I deserve to actually have what a 30, 40% EBIT would result in for me? Do, you know, is that is that actually yeah. okay? Um, and sometimes that's an inner dialogue. Sometimes that's because they've been beaten over the head by the media and everybody else for so long. Um, yes. But, you know, the reality is what most advisors do with that significant profit margin is they pay really good staff really well and they take care of their people and they change lives for the better and they reinvest in their business and they use technology to then keep their costs down for clients while keeping their profit margin up. And most of them also donate and and support their communities as well. So I don't know, even know why I went down that tangent, but well, yeah, no, no, it's, <laughs> it's limiting beliefs right. and you mindset know, are important. It's, um, and again, if I go back to that, you know, 32 um, percent, um, or 31%. Um, 32. 32. 32 <laughs> percent. The target? You know, what does that do for the average business? Like, I mean, as in not just increasing their, you know, profit this year, um, in this financial year, their, their income and their, um, you know, their savings, but also their business valuation. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it has a compounding effect on a lot of things. Business valuation, absolutely. Um, you know, we are seeing more of a shift towards EBIT multiples than recurring revenue multiples, but it depends on how the business is being bought and is it just a client book that's being plugged in elsewhere or is someone buying the whole business? But, you know, if you are aiming for a, a healthy EBIT, even if your business is valued on multiple of recurring revenue, it typically is uh, is pretty powerful um, and has a good impact on that. So people are actually being able to... Uh, leverage the quality and the value of what they've built over for some people a lifetime that that is really important Um, but even along the way it also has an impact like I say on the quality of the business because they can now afford to grow to scale to you know have staff with a bit of surplus capacity so they can investigate even technology and things that they can use to do better Um, you know it also has an impact on on mental health um, you know, people feel more successful when they are. Families are happier. They're paying down their own debt. They don't feel like a fraud because who am I telling my clients what to do with their money? But I'm not actually earning what I would like to, and I'm in more debt than I would like to. All of those inner monologues that happen around the country, and they do happen. Um, that all improves as well. And and there is nothing more satisfying and empowering than the decisions that you can make when you feel successful and, and you're seeing the wins that you're making along the way. It's, yes. um, it absolutely has a compounding and yeah. snowball effect. It sort of has, this, this part has a big flow effect to all the other parts, what technology yeah. you can use, yeah. you know, what, who you want to help and how you help them, you know, the focusing on you, it sort of all kind of starts with the fact that there's a positive in, income flowing. In. Yeah. And, you know, funnily enough, when, when when I spoke three years ago about that fourth element being taking care of yourself, it's not just physically and emotionally, it's also actually recognising that if you're the business leader and your business is not where you want it to be, then you're playing a role in that. Um, yes, legislation's been tough. Yes, you might have had to change licensees or you might have had a spurious client complaint that threw you off centre and they had no grounds, but it took you years to do it. Like, sure, there's going to be external things. But at the end of the day, we're all responsible for, for what happens. And so I find those that enjoy the most success are those that are prepared to look inward and to do self-development, not just on mental health and staying physically fit and healthy and active and all of those other really important things, but also reading, listening to podcasts. Clearly I'm talking to the converted here. Um, but, but you know, thinking about how we can improve our own um, decision-making and, and how we handle ourselves in the world and how we show up for things and how we respond to our staff and our clients and all the difficult things that happen to us. Um, I think advisors looking after themselves and being willing to learn to do better and be better uh, is yeah really important yeah, too. Definitely, I, I couldn't agree more. There's definitely some issues that the the industry is is coming to light with regards to what the the health toll on mental health within the industry has been. Yeah. And I think that that's a yeah. conversation that we'll have continually over the next couple of years as some of these stats mm. come out. Um, 
I just want to uh, quickly go back to pricing if I can, because because I know that working on you, focusing on you, can just start with one thing. You can just do that, yeah. and then you can move on to the next thing. Pricing, um, and even your CVP to, to an extent, uh, is one of those things that you kind of have to bite off in a big chunk. You, you, like, there's not just a small thing, but you can you kind of got to do a whole yeah. bigger thing, right? And obviously, people have been busy with you know exams and and new qualifications <laughs> and all these other things that are just um, the odd thing that are uh, that are forcing to the front of the queue when it comes to um, you know their list of priorities. But yes. you know, it sounds like from what we're talking about, it's pricing is such a big effect, and it's about biting off that big chunk of work and making sure that gets done so that all these other things can happen. Mm, how, long, yeah, absolutely. How, how long does it take to, to go through a transformation or a pricing structure? It depends on where the business is starting from. Um, when we, So typically once you've actually decided what you're going to do, it typically takes a 12-month um, period to transition your whole business because obviously you're not just going to pull clients in when they're not due to see you just to have a pricing conversation. So you have that conversation at review, which makes sense that it takes a 12-month period. But to actually get ready to implement that can be months and years. In fact, we've had clients come to us that have had a crack at it, have tried to do it a few times, either get too busy that they don't finish it or they, they're still not confident with it. Um, if we do it on a one-on-one engagement, if it's a private coaching engagement, Typically, depending on the size of the business, it can take, um, you know, one to two months to get it ready to go. And then the implementation takes 12 months. Um, And I think you're segueing to the fabulous joint piece of work that we're doing together. Um, Through uh, COVID hitting last year, you know, we, we, we engage people in a couple of different ways. The main thing that we usually do is one-on-one coaching. Um, But we also know that sometimes, um, it's better to learn things when you're in a group environment because you're sharing stories with other advisors. Sometimes that happens because people can't afford the one-on-one. So for years we've done a, we call it the pricing advice program. So it used to be when we could get groups of people together, it used to be a two-day experience. And even that, people were still coming out of the back of those two days going, oh, I still I still want to re-crunch some numbers. I still, I'm still wrestling with it a little bit. So in that sense, COVID was a bit of a blessing because we had a group ready to go through that program when um, the first lockdown hit in Australia. And so we pivoted it to doing it via Zoom and we broke it up because nobody wants to be in front of a screen for eight hours at a time. Um, so we broke it up across a number of different sessions and we found that breakout rooms are brilliant. You can still do very intimate conversations and, and dare I say, it, role plays and activities and make it a really interactive program using the breakout sessions in Zoom. So um, since we did the first one, we have then had numerous conversations with you and quite a few people saying we love the value proposition piece, we love the pricing, we love the implementation, and we've also identified that we want to get better at um, capturing the goals of our clients and really digging deeper into those um, conversations. So, therefore, um, we we put together that little program that you and I have put together that uh, the team have been working on. Yeah, shameless plug slash disclosure. You and I are working on a program that um, takes yes. people through goals-based advice and their pricing. So, um, yeah, yeah that, that's definitely uh, something that we are very passionate about. So g- getting through that process, I want to talk about the, uh, the concept of you know, pricing is one of those things that you, and again, if you're going through a one-on-one coaching or however you're doing it, you've got to pay some money to do it, obviously. Um, mm. Well, how- if you're going to get professional advice to do it really well, just like you want your clients to pay professional advice to get their financial house in order, it's a good thing to do with your pricing too, yeah. Yeah, I've always said it's in the implementation, right? You know, it's all very good to get yes. advice, but if you don't implement it, then it doesn't actually work. And so it's, I guess it's the same thing with learning about pricing. And if you don't implement yeah. it, then, hey, guess what? You're not actually going to be any better off. Yes, uh, No surprise correct. there. What sort of, uh, I know in the first podcast, you mentioned the concept of a you know, 10 times uplift in, um, in revenue based on, you know, coaching and those sorts of things. What, you know, getting your pricing right. Is that something that um, with your one-on-one coaching or group courses? Yeah, I mean, it has a, a, a massive impact on the business. And and I'll, look, I won't shy away from the fact to pay for a private coach. It's not necessarily a cheap exercise, but we're very fortunate in it's the type of exercise that always had a, has a good return on investment. So it's not a compliance cost. It's not a, a thing that you have to do that you then just, you know, put down to, well, that was a that was an expense in my business. It's generally always an investment. And, and with the um, program that we've put together, 
in the group environment, we very quickly realized that that getting traction for people when you haven't necessarily got the one-on-one support so you know in a group and we just to limit the groups but you've got a group of say six to ten businesses together so you're not always getting the personal attention but it's really powerful when you can then um have the session so that we we stagger it over a 10-week period so we do a, a session it's not just a talk at you session we actually get you you get your software we take you through it you crunch your numbers you do the exercise you create the value prop you build it as you go and then it's great because then you go out you do a few things in real life with some real clients you come back you unpack that you're learning and, and iterating over that 10-week period so over that time by the time you get out the back of it you know i think you ask the question what what return would you expect to get this particular program that we're running is a $10,000 investment for the business. And we suggest that you bring all of your advisors along to the Zoom calls for that. So that covers up to two people from the business. Now, if you did not make that back within three months of commencing your implementation, I would be incredibly surprised. Um, And usually you find a snowball effect. So the first few conversations are the most challenging for you. But once you build that confidence, you get on a roll. um, And we are constantly having our previous participants letting us know, oh, my gosh, I've just, you know, had this uplift. I was worried about that. I've just done my quarter's figures and we're, you know, 25% ahead on the previous quarter. It, It is it it has a massive impact on the business. Um, not only for how you price your new services and, and enabling you to afford to deliver a, a great onboarding experience, but of course also those services that you're delivering to your ongoing clients. And you know, that always depends on the business. So if you find that you've got 50% of your business paying you less than $500 a year, well, you know, there's likely to be a lot of those people that don't need a full advice proposition anymore. Um also, I know there's other advisors that have actually doubled fees to some clients because they've deepened the conversation and suddenly found that there's more work that can be done or even the fact the client's going, yeah, we've been waiting for this to happen because we know that you're really cheap and we're not going anywhere. We love you. We think you're amazing. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Now, how do you find people find one-on-one coaching versus sort of peer group, that peer group mentality? I think, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those people for some things it's good to have one-on-one for others. It's, I really get into the idea of a peer group and learning together and coming along and holding each other accountable. Yeah. Yeah. I think the peer groups are great for that. And also the ability to hear other advisors' stories firsthand. Like, I mean, I, I've been running Alexa for 14 years. I've helped thousands of advisors now over the years to do this, but it's different when I'm reflecting on somebody else's story versus that person actually sharing their own story and their their emotion and their thought process around it. So where it's things like specific structured things like your pricing or, um, you know, particularly around the sessions that you're doing on the goals based and having some practice conversations, that's incredibly helpful to do it in a group environment. Um, We've got some advisors who have actually done both. So they've engaged us for private coaching to help with the strategy and the implementation across other elements of the business and they've done the group-based pricing program at the same time because they've they've got benefit from both aspects to it. I guess it, um, you know, pricing can be a very personal thing and the thought processes that you have to go through to evolve it can still be quite um, intimidating or personal, uh, but it's, it's really helpful to actually know you're not the only one. Yeah, exactly right. The whole glass ceiling conversation comes into effect, you know, and, yeah. and, and the whole benchmarking thing as well, you know, like, you know, what, what's everyone else in the group doing and, and, and do they have the same limiting beliefs as I have? And if they don't have them, then maybe I don't need them. You know, yes. there's, a, there's a lot to, yeah. to grow from a group. Um, very good. So you got the group coaching, you got the personal coaching. Um, tell us about what else you're doing in 2021. Um, oh, well, our, we have a, um, a digital platform platform called the Evolve Alliance, and that's where we have put all of our coaching tools and resources and videos and templates. And we've got a huge amount of material, um, because we help people on so many different aspects of their business. Pricing is one thing, but also staff management and, um, corporate governance and a whole range of different things. So there's huge amounts of material. So that is actually, we've opened up that platform to people that aren't coaching. So people can subscribe to that. Um, so we have brought on, uh, our, um, 
a guardian who's looking after that. Uh, so Alana's role is to continue to, to build that. And very soon we'll be releasing um, the provider member uh, part of that portal as well. So it means, you know, advisors can get in, they can do their analysis of their business. So we've got a great online tool that you can analyze your business to get really clear on where you're at and then where you've identified areas that you want to work on, um, being able to be that conduit to great providers in the marketplace that give you ideas as well. Um, so that's a big piece of work that's coming. We're actually enhancing our business analysis tool as well because uh, as of the end of this financial year, people won't have any financial years that will have had grandfathered investment commission anymore. Um, so it's been really great to help people identify just the financial ratio component, identify um, at-risk income. And so we're uh, embedding some more updated uh, elements of that analysis piece, which is really good, and also extending it a little bit further with some requests that people have wanted additional services that they can have in there. So that's really cool. Um, so that's within the Elixir um, uh, bucket. Uh, obviously, my involvement with Lumiant has been so exciting. I love what they're building there. That's a, a non-executive board role, but also uh, my Elixir coaches are rolling out the training um, for people that are going on to start using Lumiant. So that's been fantastic. And another thing which... Um, has been on the cards for a number of years that my beautiful colleague, Lana Clark in Brisbane, uh, is doing. She's actually setting up uh, a separate business called the GSD Lab. Um, and Elixir is involved in the ownership of that, but it's a separate business. Do you know what GSD stands for? GSD. I, I'm, I'm suspecting it's getting something done. <laughs> oh, we've already sworn in this episode, down, haven't we? Really it was too late. It's not PG anymore. It's uh, we've got the explicit getting shit yeah, done. Yeah, my potty mouth came out. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's getting shit done. So one of the things that we see so often with our coaching clients is they get our, the coaches in to help strategize and figure out where do they want to go and how they're going to get there. So we create the strategy, but often advisors don't have any staff within the business that have the capacity to implement the projects that they want to do to move the business forward um, and sometimes the projects don't need somebody full-time they just need somebody with the skills to come in get it done build it implement it in the business and then leave um, and so the GSD lab will provide exactly that so people can outsource power planning with other businesses they can outsource admin so client file work that's all businesses that are in place already the GSD lab is the business strategy implementation piece so um, you know they could be doing anything from embedding new operations manual and actually documenting all the, all the processes and services to running a, a client feedback um, exercise to actually running the calcs because when we do pricing from a coaching level we usually create nowadays a quite a not complex, but a, a well-structured pricing tool that advisors can put their clients through. There's always a base level of service for typically that one review a year, and then different complexities will impact the price. So as you price each client, you have a look at their, their needs and their how they use your services, and you create a bespoke price per client. Well, sometimes businesses actually get a GSD person in to say, well, actually, here's all my client base. You get the data. You even trying to get historical figures of revenue that have come through through Compay or whatever system they're using can be challenging. Sometimes that's an exercise in itself. Wheel somebody in who knows what they're doing, get it done, and then they're off again. So that's quite exciting. That is exciting. That makes perfect sense. It's kind of like um, instead of just providing a recommendation to a client and then telling them to go and implement all the products themselves, you're actually helping actually put the or project managing, I could probably say, to project managing yeah. the, to put stuff yep. in place uh, I love exactly that. right. And as we know, that change management piece, um, it, it's partly around designing the change management piece, which the coach does, yep. but then it's also getting that implementation and accountability piece uh, is, a, is a project and, and the skills to run a project and manage it are different to the skills to be a financial planner and to necessarily even run a business or manage staff or any of those other things. So uh, that is a very exciting new little thing. Absolutely. Not so little, I would imagine. That sounds like quite a big no, thing. No, not so little. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, pretty pretty hectic year ahead by the sound of it. Do you know what? Yes and no. It is a very productive year ahead and it is also looking like the thing that I have spoken about for about three or four years is about to come to fruition. So one of the things I've wanted to do, I've worked my butt off for many, many years in this business and like so many of my clients, um, I don't 
just want to be working uh, and that's it. I do have four children. So for a long time, I've wanted, and a husband, um, I've, I've talked about this thing called 440. So working four days a week, 40 weeks of the year. And it is looking like, well, I have, it is going to happen as of about June, July this year. So I have great people in place. I have great systems in place. We've now got four consultants around the country. That's going to grow by the end of the year as well. So I can still achieve the vision that I have for Elixir and still keep creating incredible, meaningful change in the advice world. And it doesn't all have to be done by my human working hours. Yeah, 440, I like it. And uh, that's probably uh, something that a lot of advisors can um, strive for as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of woke up and went, oh, my gosh, if I don't get on with this and make a conscious decision to put things in place to make it happen, my kids will be out of school by the time I want to work 40 weeks a year. And so I'll be having school holidays off and they'll be working. So, so yeah, I, I made that decision to move on it. It's funny how we come back to this, right, because you mentioned the advisor with uh, the plumber leaky taps, the advisor that don't, doesn't oh. know their, um, their cost to serve. And, yep, the uh, business strategist. And the that- business strategist that uh, can't find the fifth day off that they needed to. Yeah, can't implement their own bloody business strategy. Isn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that that so when you say a hectic year, not so hectic in the negative sense, but very productive. Wow, fantastic! Well, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Please don't leave it another three years before we catch up with you again. I promise I will not. I will not. Well, you know what? The other thing is really good about this is that a lot of people have never even known that I live in Perth. My whole family's here in Perth because I'm always on planes. I used to be speaking at conferences and all around the countryside. So this is officially this week. It is 12 months since I've been on a plane. And I think I'm one of the few people that celebrate that. I would love to travel for for joy and for holidays again, and I'm sure we will. But, of course, the, the flip side to that too, though, is that I used to get a lot of thinking time and strategic time when I was on those planes and didn't have Wi-Fi. Uh, so now it's conscious strategy to find the time, make the time, schedule the time for those things to happen. So, Fantastic. Yeah. You're, a, you're a Western Australian resident uh, and, and stuck there at the moment. Yeah, but that's okay. Sounds good. Yeah, wonderful. I'm, I'm still in touch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sue, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we look forward to catching you again shortly. How, how can people get hold of you quickly if they uh, if they want to continue the conversation? Well, LinkedIn is great. Um, uh, that's a great way to message me. Our Elixir Consulting website is elixirconsulting.com.au. If you want to check out GSD, that's gsdlab.com.au. That website is still under construction right now. That's uh, implementing. So I may have jumped the gun on announcing that because technically uh, the marketing material is not launched, but the business is there and ready and the skills are there. Okay. So if if you've heard about GSD Lab, then it's a secret for now. Yes. (laughs) Depends on when you're listening to this. Bye. By 1st of March, you'll be good to go. Fair enough. All right. And the website's about that 18th, I think. Lovely. Thank you so yeah. much, Sue. My see you pleasure. next time. Good to see you, Fraz. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the XY Advisor Podcast. And now our favorite part of the week when we give to give people a bit of a shout out for all of the good that they're doing. <laughs> Love it, Fraser. And today is exactly one of those examples. So shout out to XY Advisor Kevin Smith, who jumped on socials this week and shared an awesome good news story. He received a handwritten letter from a client who was expressing their gratitude and thanks for the effort Kevin went to to help uh, her sort out her Centrelink uh, situation, dramas, woes. She spoke about how he helped her um, reduce the stress, uh, bring some clarity and just a bit of peace of mind. And for her to go to the effort to do that and send a handwritten letter is a true uh, you know, representation of the value that Kevin was, was providing to her and just a real great example of the value of advice. So virtual high five, well done, Kevin, legend. Virtual high five, two thumbs up, whatever you want to call it. That was really good. Well done, Kevin. And uh, the, the whole, you know, why you get into providing advice in the first place and that is, you know, that having that, you know, being able to help somebody, having them appreciate it. So two thumbs up. Virtual high fives, whatever you want to call it. If, if you if you know Kevin, reach out to him and uh, and just say, "Well done," and uh, got, got to love a good luck, a, a good news story. Mm-hmm.